Welcome back to the Axiom Youth Podcast. This lesson is being taught by our youth pastor, Brother Jared Turner. He proposes the question, what motivates you? Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoy. We're going to look in the Bible, the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 16 verse number 6 and verse number 7. The Bible says this, And it came to pass, when they were come, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. But the Lord looks on the heart. But the Lord looks on the heart. And so I want to preach tonight the title, What Motivates You? What Motivates You? So if you could just help me pray one more time. Bow your heads with me. God, we love you and we're thankful for this time together. We're thankful, Lord, for those that have led us in worship. We're thankful for this, the all the things that you have done for us to bring us here, the miracles that you've worked in our life. And I pray, God, that you would just touch this moment. I pray that you would help us to receive something from your word. And we give you praise and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated tonight. Now, there's two ways to know the Lord. There are two ways to know the Lord. You can know the Lord experientially and you can know the Lord intellectually. You can know about God. You can know that God is the most logical, the most straightforward, and the most common sense thing that you can believe. I, I believe that to be true, and, and I think it can be defended, and I think it can be proven that if you believe in things like love, and if you believe in things like justice, that you have to believe in God. You have to believe in Him, because it's, it's hard to get any meaning out of life, and we've done lessons like that before, where we have taught that where it's hard to get any meaning or purpose in your life without God, without the things of God. But really, if I was honest with you, when I'm sitting there on the front row listening to the worship team sing, it's not really the intellectual arguments that are coming to my mind. It's not really the things that uh, make sense to me in my personal worldview or philosophy that's coming to my mind. What's coming to my mind are the experiences that I have with God that I know that He is real in my life. It's that really... Now, I'm a fan of giving evidence to people, to, to witness to people and try to convince them from science or from history or from the Word of God if, if they're Bible-believing people. But really... The most powerful thing that can convince someone that they need to give God a try is your testimony. 
because that really is what is unshakable for you. Because I was sitting there and I was thinking about how good God has been to me, and I remembered last night uh, we, we were cleaning out the, the old office because we're trying to get it ready for the baby. And when we cleaned it out the first time, I mean, we just have stuff everywhere, books, because then all of them fit on our bookshelves. And, and so we have just, it's kind of became our room of stuff that we don't know what to do with right now until the baby gets here. So we've just kind of been putting stuff, putting stuff, putting stuff in that room. And so I was trying to dig through it, and I found a box. And in that box were some papers that had been through the fire. So they were a little smoky. Open up the box, and you pretty much knew what it was. It smelled like smoke and dryer sheets, which we tried to use to get the smoke out of things, and it just made the smoke smell like dryer sheets, and the dryer sheets smell like smoke. So it's this really sickening smell of snuggle smoke, smoky snuggle. And, it just, yeah, it's just not good. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's like laundry, clean laundry on fire, you know, or something. It's just not... Anyway, but I knew what it was, and so I began to dig through, and I was looking for something, and uh, I found it. I, I, I knew I'd had it. I knew, I, I knew it survived the fire, but I'd kind of misplaced it, and it was a journal. And in that journal um, was, it was notes that Sister Nikki had written me, letters that Sister Nikki had written me, and that was one of the first things that we were so worried that we had lost when our house caught on fire, is all the letters that we had written to each other. And, uh, but we, but thank the Lord that we found them. And there were a lot of letters that I'd written to her. And, and, but I, I opened up my journal there and I look, began to read the notes of all the things that Sister Nikki had written to me. And I found the one that she wrote about, Six years ago, almost exactly six years ago, it was April 20th, 2013. And that one was one before we were dating, before we were really barely friends. Really, not very, very we were barely friends. Huh? And I had a girlfriend that was not her. Oh yeah. I was a senior. I was a senior at IBC. She was a freshman at IBC. And she wrote me this letter. Now she didn't let me just say she didn't give it to me until a lot later. A lot later. Well, really not a lot later. It was because it happened. It happened it really it felt like an eternity, I'm sure, to her, but it really happened pretty quickly. She said in that letter that God spoke to her on October 24th of 2012. That God had spoke to her on October 24th, 2012. Yeah, Dalton, you got to get your math right. I wasn't alive either in 1982. That's how old they think we are. The truth comes out. They think that we were, is seen, that I graduated college in 1982. That's how old Dalton thinks I am. No. So it was 2012. Well, it really wasn't that long ago. And within two years of that, 
almost exactly two years of October 24, 2012, I would ask Sister Nikki to marry me. But at that point in her life, it didn't look very possible. And she thought she was crazy or thought she was insane. But God was working. And see, that's a kind of testimony that you know I've heard something from God. It is impossible. It looks impossible. But God can do impossible things. And God can work miracles. And if you've heard Sister Nikki tell our story, it was pretty incredible how God worked everything in such a way that it was undeniably His hand. And so when I looked at that letter last night, I became so incredibly humbled at the fact that my life could be so much different if it was not for God. And those are the things that really keep me more than just the intellectual things about what I believe, as I know God to be true because I know Him and because He has worked in my life. And I think a lot of you are in similar positions because God has done miracles in your life that I have seen Him do. God has moved and touched you and helped you in ways that I probably don't even understand or know because they're so deeply personal to you. So I want, before I start tonight, I want to just encourage you. You don't have to have all the answers. What you have to have is a relationship with Him. What you have to have is an openness and a willingness to allow Him to speak to you. To talk to you. So last week I talked about the three characteristics in David's life that were useful to God. You remember what they were? Anybody? Oh yeah, got to get it. Got to get your notes out. The three characteristics. Courage was not one of them. I mean, it could take courage, yeah, but it just wasn't what it, what I highlighted. Could take courage to live for God. Yes, he valued the cause over ambition. Yeah, he, he had a hands-off, I called it a hands-off approach to God's will. Yes, number three. He could, yes, he could take correction well. Very good. Took good notes. He could take correction well. So we're going to talk again about David's life. And we're going to kind of back up even further from these three things. And we're going to look at what it was that made David have these characteristics. What was it? And how, we're going to go a little bit deeper into how you can develop these characteristics that can allow God to work greatly in your life. How can I develop these characteristics? How can I get to a place where God can use me or where I can be involved in the kingdom of God? So the Bible often talks about the heart. The wise man said in the book of Proverbs to guard your heart for out of it come the issues 
of life. The Bible talks a lot about your heart. Now, when we say the word heart, when the Bible says in our text that the Lord tells Samuel, I have rejected him, meaning David's older brother. Don't look that he's tall or that he's handsome or that he's strong. I have rejected him because I don't look like you look. I don't see like you see. I judge and I look based on the heart. What does that mean? Because we have a heart that is a muscle that beats and pushes blood through our body. Is that what the Lord is talking about? He has a strong heart. He's not going to have a heart attack anytime soon. That way, that, so I've chosen him to be king. His muscle in this chest is really, really strong. And because we don't know, I guess, right? You don't know. You could look on someone, they could, but they could have a faulty heart. I, I don't think that's what the Lord is talking about. I don't think he's talking about the body organ of the heart. So what do you think it means? Yeah, if you're, if you're serving him for real or if you're just playing around. That's a good way to put it. It is, and this is what I want to get at tonight, and I want to help define that. When you see the word heart, when it's talking about in relationship to your life in the Spirit or in connection with God, and you see the word heart, I want you to think of it this way. I want you to think of your heart as being your motivation. Because every action that we take is because we are motivated by something. There has to be motivation for us to do anything in life. I mean, how you go to school, so you know very well about the, the science of motivation. Because how do you get teenagers to go to a building, sit at a desk, listen to a lecture, stare at a whiteboard without their phones for eight hours a day? The law. Yeah, you have to have some pretty strong motivation that if you do not go to school, your mom and your dad will be put in prison. That's what my parents had to use when I didn't want to go to kindergarten. They were like, I was like, Mom, I don't want to go to school. I, I like it at home just fine. I don't want to go to kindergarten. I had big crocodile tears. And the only way they could get me to, listen, the only way they could get me to go out of the door in a sane manner was to say, if you do not go to school, the police will come and drag Mom and Dad out of the house and lock them up and you'll never see us again. Or I don't know if they said it that way, but that, that gave me some motivation that made me some motivation. Well, they, apparently they didn't want me to know that that was an option. But that was some motivation for me to go to school. Yeah, I was ready to go because I didn't want my parents to go to prison. So motivation has to be present in our life. And it is, in fact. Everything that you do, there's a motivation behind it. There is something that pushes you forward. And your motivation will change your behavior drastically. Circumstances can change so that your motivation change and you will become a completely different person as your motivations change. You can value something 
And then there can be a circumstance that switches and you no longer value that thing. And then your actions are going to change drastically to where it could be said you are a completely different person. Because the heart or the core of who you are is equivalent to what motivates you. What is it that really pushes your decisions? What is it that really makes you do the things that you do? That is the issue. That is the issue at hand. That your motivations and your heart are one. So then, if you're going to be used by God, if you're going to allow God to work in your life, if you're going to live for God, it's not enough to have right action. It's not enough just to have the right actions. Because it's not the action that impresses God. It's not the coming to church and lifting your hands that impresses God. God does not get any pleasure out of your voice singing. Just the singing of your voice. And he does not even get pleasure out of the lyrics that you say. What does God get pleasure out of? He gets pleasure out of the heart or why you are doing what you are doing. Because I'm thankful because I am tone deaf. And I cannot sing a lick. People think I'm kidding. They think I'm kidding and then they hear me. And they're like, you really can't sing. Wow. You really can't sing. And so, but the good thing about the Lord is that I can sing to him. And he's not concerned so much about my lack of talent. But what he is, he's not that he... Likes my lack of talent. I guess he chose to make me this untalented. So maybe he has a plan in there somewhere, a purpose. But the deal is, is that I can still worship him just like Sister Nikki can worship him. Because it's about my heart. It's about what is motivating me. It's not about what I do. It's about why I do it. It's about that motive. What motivates you? I want to ask that question to you tonight. What motivates you? Because we can live, there's a way to live as human beings where we never think about what our motives are. We just do things that we like and you can say, well, why are you doing that? Well, I enjoy it. Well, why do you enjoy it? I've never thought about it. You can live that kind of life. Where you're just doing what it is you do. And you're just going along. But if you're going to live a life for God. You're going to have to get to know yourself a little bit deeper. And you're going to have to ask a little more fundamental questions. And you're going to have to really find out what motivates me. Because this is going to be the starting point of either you serving God. Or you choosing to go another path. It's going to be. What is in that motivation? 
What is working on you that pushes your decision making? Because that is what's going to be valuable to God. And it was this quality in David. His, it was what motivated him. It was not his abilities or his talent or his leadership, but it was in every situation that his motives would kick in to such that he could act in bizarre ways that people around him could not predict because they didn't really know what motivated him. But God knew all along. He said, look, if you take this shepherd right here and you put him in front of my enemy, in front of someone that is mocking me, in front of someone that is mocking my armies and making a laughing stock of my people. While others are hiding and thinking of themselves and their self-preservation and not wanting to die, this guy right here, because I know his motives, he will become so angry, not for his own sake, but for my sake. Because I know what motivates him. I can look down and I can see his heart. I can see that a zeal for me motivates him. So if I can just put him in a position to where he sees it, he's going to do something about it. And then I'm going to fight for him because that's what I do as God. I don't need a talented man that is motivated by self-interest because if I don't fight for them then they're going to get beat to a pulp. But if I fight for them, then you're not going to be able to lose. But I'm only going to fight for somebody that's going to let me keep the glory because I'm God. So I'm going to choose somebody who's motivated by the right things. And God has not changed one bit. He's still looking for somebody that's motivated by the right things. He's still looking for somebody that has the right motives. For somebody that has the right heart. And we talk about that, but I wanted to concrete what a heart is. What a good heart is. It's not just that you are kind or nice or bubbly or have a good personality. It's really nothing to do with that. It's about what motivates you. What is the driving force of your life when it comes down to it and you have to make a tough decision what's going to be that force that pushes up in your life that motive that drives you the people that sir i'm going to rehash some of the examples so forgive me but i think you could stand to hear it again when david was on the run and everybody around him thought that his motive was to be the king because he had been anointed king. He was very clearly the people's favorite. They would sing and they would dance. And they would say David has slain his tens of thousands. And they, they would come out with cymbals and, and tambourines. And they would dance before him as he marched back in from battle victorious. And they may have thought that that was what was motivating David. That he had some sort of arrogance that I want the praise of men and I want to be the king. And so when Saul comes walking into the cave that David was uh, hiding in and he had the opportunity to kill him, remember? And everybody said, now is your time. God has given him to you. And they thought it's going to be a no-brainer because David is motivated to be the king. 
And if you were motivated to be the king and you had the support of the people, all you would need is the death of the current king for him to be out of the way and then you would be king. But see, if David had been motivated that way, God would have never have chosen him. God would have never pulled him off of that hill where he was the shepherd watching the sheep. God would have never allowed him to be anointed king. God would have never pulled him out of obscurity because he said, look, you can look all you want on the people with riches and fame and money. But I'm looking on somebody that is motivated by a zeal for me, for my kingdom. And who will be a king that allows me to call the shots and allows me to get the glory. That's what I'm looking for. And so he said, no, you cannot touch the Lord's anointed. Because I value what God values. Even if this man doesn't value me, I'm motivated not to be the king. I'm motivated to be in the will of God. I'm motivated not to be the soloist on the stage. I'm motivated to be used by God. I'm motivated not to be the speaker that speaks at NAYC and everybody claps and says, ooh, didn't you do a good job? I'm motivated to be used by God. I'm motivated to be just in a room with one person giving a Bible study where the Holy Ghost moves in and God can use me and God can get the glory. That's what motivates me. And that's going to be the key to if God's going to use you or if you're just going to stay on the hillside somewhere doing nothing for the kingdom. What motivates you? Can God use you? Check your motives tonight. Because that's what God needs. Is somebody that's motivated in the right way. With the right heart, the right spirit. God needs you to have the right motives. When the Ark of the Covenant was taken. And David decides to bring it back. If you've been reading, if you've read last month, 1 Samuel should be familiar with the story. And he comes back. And he's walking into the city before the ark of the Lord. And he takes off his kingly garments. And he's wearing a commoner's robe. Which a king would never be seen in. Almost like just a straight linen ephod. And he begins to dance before the Lord. And of course his wife, Saul's daughter, says, you've made a fool of yourself. She talks to him afterwards and said, you've made a fool of yourself before all the damsels of Israel. They have seen their king act like an idiot. And David's answer to her is telling. He says, this day will I be held in honor among them. He said, it's not what you think it is. You think... That my motivation is to always look like the king. And my motivation is to never have anybody see me as as just a regular person. And that I want the power and that I want the authority. But that's not what drives me, Michael. What drives me is to worship the Lord. And to give him honor. And so if the Lord's presence is being restored to Israel. It doesn't matter to me how I look. I'm going to give him praise because I value him. Because I value the things of God. And see, God can work with somebody whose motives are like that. 
God can even take somebody who has that kind of heart and work through some of the most horrific sin on the face of the earth, which is what David created when he committed adultery and then committed murder to cover it up. A horrific sin that was terrible in its nature. But God could still work with him. Why? Because when it was pointed out to him, when he realized that his motives had gotten askew from doing the things that honored God to things that pleased himself, he said, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. God, my motives became off track. Create in me the right motivation. Create in me a desire to follow you again. To stay focused. To stay committed on what you want me to be. On what you want me to do. So here's my challenge tonight. Is if you're going to do these things. If you're going to live for God. If you're going to value the kingdom. If you're going to keep your hands off of the will of God. If you're going to be able to take correction well. And be in the place that God can use you. You're going to have to start with your motives. You're going to have to take a look at yourself. And say what motivates me. That's why I'm very, very cautious and I never encourage young people to date in high school because it's very, very difficult to get your motives right. It can be done, I guess, perhaps to certain individuals, but it's very, very difficult for you to enter into a relationship as a young person and it truly be about the other person. Because that's what a relationship, a real relationship, a marriage has to be. It has to be driven by motivation for the other person. If it's going to be successful, then your actions have to be pushed by a desire and a motive to serve the other person. And a selfish motive will not last very long. And a selfish motive will destroy. And all divorce happens because of selfishness. It happens because somebody starts looking out for number one. And says, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I don't care about the commitment that I have made. And that's where hurt and abuse come in. Because the motivation becomes off. Because your motivation controls everything about you. It gets a hold of your life. And you will do things that you do not even think are possible. When that little thing called your motivation becomes out of control. A good example would be addiction. People do things when they are addicted that they never thought that they would do. That are actually against what they should do for their health. For their life, for their career, for their finances, for their relationships, for their family, for their children. They will do anything because why? Their motivation has been twisted. 
Because what normal human motivation should tell them about preservation of their life and preservation of their children and preservation of their job and preservation of their home. Say, I don't care because something else has got a hold of me. And my motives have been twisted. And my motives have been pushed aside. And it's stronger than anybody. You can wake up and say, how did I get here? Because your motives got off. Because the heart, it affects that heart. It affects what drives you and what pushes you. And you will make decisions that you do not even know you're capable of making when your motivations become askew. When they become off-centered. What motivates you? What motivates you? The things that you listen to, the things that you read, the things that you click on. You've got to guard your motivations. Why are you doing that? Why are you involved in this? The way that you dress, the way that you present yourself, there's motivation behind it. What is your motivation? See, that's what God gets at when he, when he starts talking to us about modesty and about how we dress. He cares about what your motivation is. Everything that God cares about, He cares about it because of your motives. Because motives can take you so much further than you think it's possible to go. I've told this story before, but it's a shocking story to me. My dad, the guy at work, worked with my dad. They didn't work closely together. Young guy, making a very, very nice salary, highly educated. Gets fired from his job because he's watching pornography at work. Because there was something, you would think that you would go to work and you would do your job so that you could keep this paycheck, so that you could keep your career, so that you could keep your home or your family or your car, or whatever it is that your money does for you. That, that's what a normal human being would do. But see, there's some motive that got in there that even made him do things. There's some addiction that got a hold. There's some darkness that came a hold and grabbed that motive. Why? Because he didn't guard his heart. Because he didn't guard his motivations. You, you really think that evil people are born evil? No, they're made evil by the things they allow into their life. You really think murderers and rapists and terrorists and things are just born that way? No, they're just a little innocent child, but something gets a hold of their motivations. And it would allow them. What just happened in Sri Lanka? Men strapped bombs to their bodies and walked into churches and blew themselves up. That's an evil. That is not, it's not even good for you. You died in the process, but why would they do it? Because an evil gripped their heart and turned their motivation. And the enemy knows that if he can get your motivation, you will do things that are even able to harm yourself that are not even good for you not even good for your mind your heart your body anything that motivation turns what motivates you tonight what motivates you if something dark has got a hold of your life and is steering you you might can fight it off for a while and still have enough clarity to you know do the things that you need to do like go to work and not, not look at pornography. He could, he may, no doubt, he managed it for a long time. Through college, was able to go to class and not be weird, not get kicked out of school. But before long, it caught up to him. Before long, the darkness and the evil in that heart. You might can be married for a little while 
with some dark evilness in your heart and selfishness. You can, might can, you know, suffer it out for a little while, but eventually that motivation is going to become so strong that you will destroy everything that you have because the motive will begin to work. And God says, look, I can't, I've refused this person. No way, they've got the talent, they've got all the stuff, they've got parents that love them, they've got all this opportunity, but their heart, if you could see what I could see, and then there's somebody over here that's got no opportunity, nothing going for them, nobody in their corner, and God's saying, look, I see somebody that's got a heart that is usable to me. I can take them, and I can make something great out of them because it hinges right there on that heart. What motivates you? What motivates you? Why are you making the decisions that you are making? A selfish motivation will turn your life, turn your heart. But a motive that is given to God and saying, God, with my life, all I want to do with my life is serve you. That's when the true freedom the true ability, the true innovation, creativity, all of that is unleashed in that one decision. Because God does unique things. If David could have planned his life, he probably would have planned for a bigger sheep herd. Maybe get some under shepherds. And I'm now the shepherd manager. And I've got sheep on two hills instead of sheep on one hill. And I've got big plans for these sheep. I'm going to build them a house, a sheep perch. And they're going to put them in the barn at night. And then I'm going to, you know, get, get them. And I'm going, to, I'm going to do this thing where they never get away. And they've got this electric fence that shocks them. Maybe David would have invented that early or something. They couldn't get away. They'd have the zapper on them. But he would have never planned. He would have never planned to be the king. He could have never got his life from the sheep pasture to the throne room on his own plans, on his own motives. Even if he would have been ambitious, he would have never been able to do it. Because if he would have walked on the field of battle with Goliath, without the anointing and the power of God, saying, I'm going to use this kid to get the glory, he would have been smashed, he would have been driven through, perhaps, we don't know. But I would say it's pretty likely that if he would have walked out there and say, I come to you not with a sword and a spear, but in the name of the Lord our God. If he had, hadn't have done that, hadn't had his motives right, you think he would have made it? No. He'd had bad motives. He would have, even if he'd made it that far, if he had bad, had bad motives, he would have killed Saul and God would have removed his power from his life. He, he had to, it was the thing in his life and in his heart. It was the motives that made the difference. And they're coming to the music. And I'm coming to a close. Because that's, that's all I want to say tonight. Is ask you what motivates you. The decisions that you are making. The things you're involved in. The friends that you have. The way that you carry yourself, the way that you worship, the way that you want to be involved, what you do for the kingdom of God, what motivates you tonight? What motivates you?
Because a motive that is turned over to the Lord and saying, God, create in me a clean heart. You don't have to have perfect motives in your past. You can acknowledge that, look, my motives got off and I became selfish and I was a jerk and I was foolish and I did things that were dumb and I allowed things to get a hold of my life and twist it in other ways, but create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew, renew my motives. That's what David prayed, renew my motives. Take this stuff from me, God, and give me a new heart. Take this heart of stone that's unyieldable, unmovable, and give me a heart of flesh, the Bible says, that's shapeable, that's soft, that's pliable, so that you can give me the desires of my heart. Isn't that what the Bible says? Let the Lord give you the desires of your heart. Not just what I want, but make my heart want the right things. Put the right motives in here. Don't let me live my life with bad motives. Don't let me be a selfish jerk all of my life. Unable to bless my family. Unable to bless my wife. Unable to bless my church. Unable to be used by God because I am so stuck on me. I'm so motivated by me that I'm just a jerk all the time. That I never sacrifice. That I never give when I don't feel like it. Because I'm just interested in me. But let me have the right motive so that God can really use me. So that I can be, really be involved in the kingdom of God. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Isn't that what repentance is? Lord, I, I know I've done wrong, and I want the motive of my life to be changed. I'm not just trying to get my stuff erased so that I can go forward with my own life. I'm trying to get all of that stuff out of my heart. I'm trying to get the motives out. I'm trying to get the scars that make my heart go in one direction. I'm trying to take care of that so that I can go forward with the right motive. That's what repentance is. That's where salvation begins. That's the gateway to the kingdom of God. Is Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Make my motives align with yours. Because then you're capable of what you didn't think you were capable of. Just like sin makes you capable of things you didn't think were possible. The power of the Spirit makes you capable in the opposite direction of things you thought, I could never do that. I could never speak. I could never sing. I could never teach a Bible study. I could never be a missionary. I could never go to Bible college. I could never go... Where God's calling me to go, I could never do that. If your motives were changed, you could do anything. That's what it's about tonight. If you'd stand. Why don't you just close your eyes right now? We're going to have a time to respond. Because God knows. I like it when people come forward. I like when people step to the altar. But you can step to the altar, of course, and not really have your heart right and not really want your motives to change and, or you could just bow your head where you are and have a heart that's broken and open before the Lord and he can begin to talk to you and he can begin to help you I don't know but God knows I can't judge your response but God will 
God's, God will look down. and He's looking down at maybe somebody that's unlikely that you don't even think at all possible God could ever use them or ever talk to them or ever help them. And they've got a heart that's just crying out. I'm just going to pray for you right now. God, I pray, Lord, for these young people. I pray, Lord, that you would look down, God, on their hearts tonight. And, Lord, I pray that you would help them. If there's somebody here that's trapped and that's bound, God, by a life that's lived with pure, impure motives, that's just trapped, God, trapped by the, the lies of sin, I pray that they would find an altar of repentance. I pray, Lord, that right now that you would just begin to deal with them and help them feel the conviction and the power of the Holy Ghost. And if there are those that are here tonight, God, that they have such a hunger and such a desire for you, I pray that you would meet them and that you would encourage them tonight and let them know that you are on their side and that you're fighting for them and that you would help us, God, to bring our motives under the power of the Spirit. Touch these young people right now. Come on, just begin to respond right now. I know we've got to go, but I just want to give you just a minute to respond. If you'd like to step forward, this altar is open, or just lift your hands right where you are and just let the Lord begin to talk to you. Say, God created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. God, take control of my motives. God, let my motive of everything that I do, every song that I sing, every friendship that I make, every time I go to school, I want my driving force to be you and your kingdom. This has been an episode of Axiom Youth Student Ministries. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you've enjoyed and we hope you'll come back for the next one. Thank you for tuning in.